Good morning. It's great to see you guys. And indeed, I've been, I've been loving this Unsettled Life um, in a way that just has kind of continuously been stirring up in every study, just portions. Now, at the same time, I realize a lot of you, as you've been diving in and engaging, also have been like engaging in that spiritual warfare aspect as well. I don't know how you guys are doing, but it's been an intense couple of weeks. Anybody else with me on that? Just It's been just huge. So I'm going to open in prayer here in a second. But you know, whenever we try to press into God, there's always an enemy. There's always plenty of opportunities to push us away. And so I want to be praying for you guys as we go. And we're going to talk about the unsettling the church today as, and as well as all these other aspects. So last week was relationships, and we want to keep kind of bringing this in. And as we kind of come to a close next week, hopefully we've each found somewhere that God has kind of stirred up and called us to begin to move forward. So as we do, I just again want to warn, hey, you know, that spiritual um, warfare is real. It does happen, and you might, enga- you might engage in it. So let's be praying for each other, and we'll start with this prayer right here. Let's do that together. Father, lift up the congregation to you. I lift up um, the staff. I lift up the elders to you. And we just, oh man, we just uh, know that so many of us long to be near you. We long to have your presence. We long to understand where you're, where, what you're doing in our lives and where you're taking us. We long to know your word. And God, in the midst of all this, we ask that you would challenge us to, um, to continue to grow deeper with you, to continue to be unsettled, but at the same time that you would aid us and empower us as we deal with just the spiritual warfare that we engage in. Whether it's the temptations in life and the world from our own flesh, or whether it's the enemy himself with his lies, God, we just ask that you'd give us strength. And as we get into your word, we ask that you would enable us as well to live in that rightly. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, I can still remember the first time I went to church. Anybody else here remember your first time you ever went to church? If you were a little kid, maybe you can't remember what that was like. And some of you, you grew up in a a Catholic church, and maybe it was just amazing with all the stained glass and all of the different pieces and the different languages. And you're just like, whoa, that's crazy. Uh, For me, I I remember returning to church for the first time. When I was a kid, I don't have a lot of memories of really um, going to church because I was always going off to um, children's ministry, and I hated it. And when I was a kid, I didn't like children's ministry. I was the kid who was so nervous meeting people for an entire children's ministry service. I sat under a picnic bench outside the front, uh, outside the door, waiting because waiting for people to to get out because I was so scared I was going to go because I'd come late. And so for me, it was never fun. But then I can remember the first time sitting in church, having the experience of seeing the people singing and being a um, being. Uh, in a place where I watched people get baptized and watched people give their life to the Lord and just the amount of joy and excitement that went on. And that's just kind of been for me one of those pieces. When I came really to the Lord in in high school, uh, we were meeting at the church I was at at the time. It was a crossroads. We were meeting in a tent. And so the tent was like this crazy experience where they had floods and all kinds of crazy stuff had happened. But just sitting in this tent and seeing that and then moving into their next sanctuary that they did it, I just was addicted in a sense to church. I loved the entire, every bit about it. I loved the music. I loved the dramas. I got engaged more and more in ministry and in service at the church. And eventually I got to do some leading of worship and I sacrificed to the point I even wore tights on stage. Don't ask. It's a different story. Um, embarrassing to my family and my, my past. But we, uh, anyway, the reality was that I would do anything to keep engaging in church. I loved it. But I did have friends who weren't the same. First, we would be going to church, and then eventually they would kind of be here and there. Maybe they'd get engaged, but then they would get hurt and they'd back out. 
there's all kinds of reasons people would start telling me, I don't go to church anymore. And I was like, why? I love church. Even when I'm on vacation, I like to go to church. And they'd go, well, you know, they're, they're just, yeah, I got this thing over here and these people aren't perfect. They're all hypocrites. You know, it's just, I'm too busy. I just can't get there in time. And what's fascinating is when I read the Bible, the excitement, the energy of the people in the scriptures to be in church felt a lot like how I felt when I was younger. And yet, I know in our current culture and day and age that going to church isn't like the big deal. That going to church is something that sometimes, let's be honest with each other, even I'm there, we look at our watch and go, maybe I can miss this service and sleep in a little bit. You know, the game is going to start, maybe I can pick this one up on podcast, right? It's like, do I DVR the game or I DVR church? We have the option now, and so which one do we pick? And the reality is that Church in America, people are not going as often, and people who do go are settling for different things. And I want to talk about these settlings, and I want to talk about three main problems that really churches are dealing with. There's lots of problems, trust me, there's as many problems as there are people in a church, and so we don't, we don't want to just say, hey, it's, these, are, these are things to gripe about, but these are major, broader issues that we can see in the American church that's going on. And I just kind of wanted to bring them out to see maybe, hey, have we settled in a spot that might be unhealthy for our spiritual life and to call us to be unsettled? But I want to note something as we get into this. The book of Ecclesiastes has a very, um, very well-known section, section in it. In fact, it says, For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill, a time to... I'm sorry. Uh, anyway, the, the reality is that there's a time for everything. Turn, turn, turn. We could all sing it together. But the... Um, the point is that even in these problems that I'm going to bring up, there is a time for them. So some of you, I'm going to say, hey, look, you, this is a problem. You're going to go, but I need that right now. And that may be true. And so I want you to hear this in context with grace. That some of us, there is a point where we need some of these things. I just don't want you to settle there and think that's all you need. And does that make sense? And so let's, let's dive into this. Let's look at the first problem. And what this first problem is, is really settling for a DIY Christianity. We all know a DIY, do-it-yourself. How many of you have done do-it-yourself projects in your own house? You've, you've pulled it up on YouTube or whatever, and you've built something, fixed something, remodeled something, sewn something. DIY projects are all the rage. They're super popular. They're, they're fun because you actually get to do something. You get your hands dirty, or you actually learn how to sew. You actually take that photograph. There's all kinds of DIY options in the world. And DIY is moved into a lot of different areas. We got DIY schooling. We can call it homeschooling schooling. You know, you have this option to do it yourself and get your curriculums. And man, if you're a, if you're a DIY mom who's homeschooling, God bless you. That is some of the hardest stuff in the world. And uh, keep, so, keep soldiering through, though, if you've chosen that route. You know, some of us, we've, we've, some, we see some DIY with our food. We like to make our own foods and things like that, fixing our homes. There's some things you don't want to DIY, though. Isn't that true? Like, you don't want to DIY your appendectomy. Imagine that. You're like, your husband's like, I found it on YouTube. I bought some scalpels. It's going to be awesome. You're like, uh, I don't think that's how this works. You know, there's a, some people are trying to DIY some counseling, which isn't bad, but sometimes you need help. And sometimes we don't really want to DIY really, you know, some of your car stuff. Let's be honest today with the computer technology and things gone are the days when you can DIY with your car. 
And it's just, a, it's kind of an interesting world where we want to do it ourselves, but there are some things we shouldn't. And church is one of those things we shouldn't. Now, there are times in which you can find yourself home alone and you, and you need to get the podcast. For example, I am not talking about if you're sick. If you're sick, go home. Don't be here. We don't want that, okay? Um, it, but there's also people who are shut in and they're stuck. They literally cannot escape their home. And so their, their life is circulating around their home because of their situation. And that's why there are things like podcasts and other things that God's blessed us with technology. But I'm talking about something different. You see, I'm talking about when people who are Christians choose to stay away for, for various reasons. They choose to not gather in the community because, hey, you know what? I can, I can watch a podcast. I, I can watch it on a webcast. I, can, I got enough CDs, MP3s that I could drive across America and not get enough worship. You know, there, there's plenty of options like this. But I want to remind us that that's not a new problem. This is an old problem. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verse 25, the author of Hebrews is encouraging the church not to give up on the faith and to continue forward. And one of the things he does at the end, chapter 25, he says, guys, let's encourage one another how to love and, and spur each, on to each other onto good deeds, but not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We need to encourage each other that we need to continue to gather together. We need to encourage each other that we can continue to meet because, let's face it, our culture is pressing us into individualism in a very strong way. You don't have to leave your house, do you? And let's be honest. You don't need to go to the movies. You can order a thousand movies on your, com on your computer and your television. Anything you want to see from any time of era except for the brand new movies, which you're like, they're cheaper on my screen anyway by the time they get there. So people aren't going to the movies as much anymore. In fact, Sam's Club just stopped selling videos for some reason, maybe because you can get them at home on your television. You can sit there. You don't need to go to a bookstore. You've got Amazon. Just pull it right up. You don't need to go to a, oh, any kind of sporting goods store. You've got Amazon. You can pull it up. Shopping can happen in your home. In fact, you can do your schooling in your home. You can do most everything inside your home. So why even use the car, including when you can just watch church from your home? In fact, today you can even order groceries, have them delivered to your home. In fact, it's, it's interesting as we become more attached to our screens, with the exception of Pokemon Go, most children do not go outside and play anymore. They stay inside. Our entire block's got tons of kids. And it's like, you're kind of like, the kids live on this street? Nobody's here. And then they show up and they're like, you know, that's kind of the reality of it. But I get it. It's a world where you don't have to leave home. You can enter your house, close your garage, and it feels so much better. You know why? Because in Corona, you're a commuter. Isn't that true? I mean, guys, you, you live in your car. You live in your car, your cubicle, and then you, by the time you get home, they're like, let's go out to eat. You're like, I don't want to get back in that car. That's a cage. I don't want to live in there any longer than I have to. And so we've opted to stay home. And oftentimes that can show up at, at church as well. But what we miss out when we DIY is something very, very important. We miss out on the corporate aspect of the church. Jesus was sitting with his disciples in front of a very large uh, idol structure. Um, and he's asking them who they said that he was. And, he, and they declare, oh, you're, you're the Christ, the son of the living God, Peter yells out. And he says, you're right, Peter. The Father has given you these words. And then he adds this. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. 
I tell you, you are Peter, and, and, he's, and there's this whole establishment here in the text, and we won't have to go through all that, but I want to point out something. He says, I will build my church. The word church is an interesting term. It comes, actually, the word church in English comes from the uh, actual German term, kirk, and the word kirk meant the, uh, um, the elect people. But the word in Greek, or in Greek, is actually the called out ones, the ones who are brought together in an assembly. And so if you read it this way, you say, I will build my assembly and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. It's very corporate. He's not saying, I'm going to build that one person. No, he's like, I'm going to keep adding and adding and adding to this assembly from every people, every tongue, every tribe, every nation, every socioeconomic type. I'm gathering them in under my banner. That is the church. We call that the church universal because let's, let's be honest, are we the only church in town? No way. There are lots of churches, good churches in town, amen? They do great work for the Lord, amen? And we want to support and encourage the other churches in town to continue forward because we would love to see as many people come to know Christ as we possibly can, amen? So we're not against churches that are true churches. In fact, we're brothers and sisters with those churches. We are one church. That, however, does not mean that gives us the excuse that I can stay home since I'm part of the universal church. No, in fact, what it means is we should gather together in the local church because we are to be connected to each other. It's interesting that Peter later writes this letter to, to the church itself. He says in this, as you come to him, church, as you come to Christ, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to, a holy, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And there's a lot in this text, but basically what he's saying is he's just built out the fact that this, this stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. As you come to him, it's a living stone. The cornerstone is a special stone in the midst of, of ancient buildings. And it was an important stone that when laid, it was laid first to frame the foundation work of a home. If the cornerstone was off and it wasn't designed right, the other stones could not align appropriately to it. And so it set the stage for the rest of the home. The cornerstone was considered the, the important beginning point that everything aligned to. But notice, Jesus is the cornerstone. All the other stones that come are being built up like a spiritual house. They're not all touching Christ, but they're aligned to him. Which means I'm not touching Jesus, but I'm touching somebody else. And as aligned as they are to me, and as aligned as they are to Christ is how aligned I am to him. So it's this, I'm linked to each other. As aligned as we are to each other and we are to Christ, so we walk together. And it's important to note, if any of us find ourselves off alone, it's very likely and has been, it's over and over and over again been shown, we are more likely to land in heresy. When we get away and we get away from the, the generations of 2,000 years of believers lining up with each other, trying to line up with the Word of God, lining up with Christ, what we have inevitably seen is people drift from the original vision of Christ and His church and what has been given to us, passed down for generations, and we, we go off. And I want to encourage you guys that one of the dangers in being alone is that you can be influenced by everything else and we can misread the scriptures, and we need each other. We need each other in the scholars. 
We need each other together. We have to have the challenge to know the word of God and challenge each other with it so that we stay aligned with the cornerstone who is Christ. And that's the idea here. This is a corporate gathering. We're all together. And there's one more piece I want to involve. It's a little bit more theological, but it really, for me, it began in a journey when my wife and I, she, we had been married only a little while and she kind of looked at me one day and we were talking. She's like, you know, it's funny. I feel like all my friends know a different Teresa. I'm like, what do you mean? She's like, well, for some of my friends, I'm this deep emotional person. And for others of my friends, I'm this fun kind of just, let's go have some fun person. Others, I'm the serious person. I just feel like I'm a different person for different people because, and I'm like, well, why do you think that? She says, because I feel like each one draws a different me out. You ever felt that way? That your friends draw different aspects of who you are out? So that when you have all those friends together, in fact, they see you in a different light because they bring different pieces of who you are out. C.S. Lewis noted this. In one of his books, he talks about the fact that when a friend dies and you, and you both know somebody, you actually have like two deaths. First, the friend who actually dies, but then your other friend that you know who he knew. In this triad of friendships, that person brought out different aspects of you. And brought out different aspects of your friend. When they died, those aspects disappeared. And so you knew your friend less. So when you add these ideas that, guys, we learn about each other. We're different when we're together. It's pretty powerful when you begin to realize the different aspects of what we bring out of each other. Now, add one more piece. The fact that you and I are made in the image of God. According to Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, God made us in his image. Augustine sat there and thought about this um, thousand plus years ago and said, you know what? In, in his calculation, he thought it would take an infinite amount of human beings then to reflect back the infinite glory of God. And I think he's right. That we are all made, that if we were compiled, an infinite amount of us, it would reflect back God's infinite glory. But each of us only have a fleck of that glory. Each of us only have a piece. So as we gather, the greater the glory of God is seen, the greater the glory of God is known. In fact, I learn about God as you wrestle through your life with God. Because when I'm gathered with my small group and I see how one man is faithful, it encourages me to be faithful. As I see another person pray desperately for God, it causes desperation in me. As I stand firm, so it enables another. Guys, we need each other for the spiritual life. And so when we gather, we gain a greater thing. And we know more about our great God, who is a triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three persons who is one essence, who has made his church to be many people united by his one spirit. That sounds like our God. So why can, why do we think we can do it alone? I don't think we should. We need each other. We can't ditch out. We miss out on our spiritual life. But there's other things. You guys are here. So I'm like preaching to the choir right now. Thank you for being here. Amen. You can go like, oh, I feel good. I've came to church. All right. So, but the reality is that there's some more, there's another problem. And this is the other one. We call it consumer church because there's a lot of different terms out there for it. But let's just put it this way. We come to church only to receive. Is it wrong to receive from church? No, we ought to receive from church. It's wrong to only receive from church. When we get into the habit of only receiving, we we can cause ourselves a problem. Let me give you where this comes from. Maybe you've been involved in a church and you've gotten harmed or hurt or you've dug in far enough into the ministry life that you began to realize these leaders and stuff, 
they're not perfect saints who are going to be made, you know, saints in any form. You know, they're just kind of like, these people need Jesus. Yeah. Every staff member at our church needs Jesus. Trust me. That's why we're where we're at. We all need Jesus. There's nobody perfect. And so when we wrestle together and we get in there, you begin to go, man, these people aren't good and it hurt because you got injured. And so you've come to the church or you've stayed at, your, at this church and you just kind of go, you know, I'm going to take a break. I'm just going to rest. I think that's okay. Maybe you've been working your tail off. You've served for five years straight and you're like, I need a break. And so all you want to do is just come and receive for a little bit. I don't think that's a problem necessarily. Maybe you're just here and you're new and it's like the first couple months you've been here and you're just like, I don't know, do I get in on this mess? What, what do I do? I'm, I'm just not sure. You're not ready to cross the line yet. I think that's okay. I also think it's okay that many of us are in a place where you're just so busy in your life that right now you just need the spiritual shot in the arm. You're like showing up going, hit me, I need some Jesus because I'm going to go through one more week. This is awful. That sounded horrible, but you know what I'm saying. Some of you guys need church because it's keeping you going. That's okay, but it's not okay if that's where you've settled. If you said, yeah, man, I need some rest and four years have gone by, Maybe you need to get up and get moving. If that hurt was a long, long time ago and you're just sitting there going, man, I don't want to get involved. I just want to believe that everything's okay in the church all the time. You may have settled for a delusion. And I want to encourage you guys that we need to press on because we can't become mature by just showing up to church. You can't. Does anybody remember those crazy like electrode ab machines? Anybody ever buy one of those? I hope you didn't, but you'd attach them to your abs and you turn this, you crank this thing up and you're like, yeah, I just did 9,000 crunches. Ah, ha, ha, you know. It was all electricity charging your abs to get all strong and then relax and all strong and relax. The problem with those is they discovered it doesn't burn any fat. You got all this like, you got a six pack under the keg, you know. It's like, it's just, you're, you're ripped underneath it all. But the reality was that it was actually injuring people because the rest of their body wasn't getting as strong as the muscles that they were training. Because when you actually got to do crunches and you actually got to do push-ups and, and core things that strengthen you, it strengthens a lot of other muscles around those muscles. And the reality is when we think this is just this powerful electric thing that's going to make you mature, you're going to be imbalanced in your spiritual life. Coming to church isn't enough. Hearing a sermon isn't enough. You've got to realize it must move into life. It must be established into other things. Plus, God didn't design the church to be a place just to sit. He designed it as a place to, to live out his kingdom. And we need to be encouraging each other to move and to grow and to develop and to not just receive, but to receive and to give. When we give and receive... We end up into the process of sowing and reaping. What I sow, I reap. And as I give to others, I will receive more. And so it begins to strengthen you. It begins to shape you. It begins to challenge you. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, in fact, if you want to go there, you can open to 1 Corinthians. We're going to be in 12 a few times here. But Paul is writing to the Corinthians, and he's talking about church life at this point. He's just finished with the Lord's Supper, which we've just done, which is communion. And he's starting to explain the problems in their church. And he's like, look, you Corinthians, you guys are just way too into the wrong things. You, you, you're all divided up, and you think you're all great because you've got spiritual powers and stuff like that. 
to, let's talk about these gifts for a second. And that's what he breaks into. And he says, no, concerning those spiritual gifts, I don't want you to be uninformed. And he gets into verse 7. He says, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And what he's explaining is these gifts. There's all these varieties of gifts and these kinds of services and activities. And everybody, to each, that leaves nobody out, if you're a Christian, everyone is given a manifestation of the Spirit. Everyone has a gift. Everyone has some way that they can serve. What's funny is in our current cultures, we make ourselves feel so good about that. God gave me this gift so I can serve people. I'm going to use it to self-actualize. No, 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 no. It has nothing to do with your self-actualization. In fact, if you use your giftedness just so you can self-actualize, you're not serving correctly. In fact, what you want to see is that it's for the common good. What in the world does that mean? The common good means the good for all, the good for the whole of the community. It's, it's far closer to, the ter- to, the likely, to what happens at a good family function. I'm talking a good family function. We're coming up on Thanksgiving and Christmas, and, and at, at good family functions, you know, if you're that lazy guy sitting there, and you've just eaten all the turkey, and you're like, the tryptophan's kicking in, and you're having that coma, and you're just like, Ugh. you know, my grandma had been the first one to go like, get up, go cook, you know, go do something else, do this, help out, okay, because everybody needed to join in. My family, we do not use a dishwasher. We hate technology. No, I just said it's for some reason... We just have decided, we, we just hand wash everything. It's what we've always done. And so invariably, dinner's over. We grab our dishes and we go over there. And of course, there's that voice that's sitting there going, I don't want to do this. This is ridiculous. Why do we have to do this? And of course, there's the other voice, which is my wife. And, and she's going, because we're a family, everybody's got to clean and cook. Greg, I can't keep talking to you about this. I have that kid in me going like, I don't want to wash these dishes. But the reality is that we all have to pitch in as a family. We're all part of the common good. It's for the help of everybody. You cleaning your room is nice, but we all got to clean the common areas. We've all got to take out the common trash. We've all got to help in the common activities. God gave you a gift for the common good. Not for your special good, not for your super ability. And Paul's point is to take them back away from them thinking, look at me. No, this is about us. It's about serving each other. It's very corporate in its conception. And so this reality is that you've been given a gift to serve each other. And nobody's been given the gift of sitting on 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 their seats. There just isn't a gift like that. I mean, I've met people, it's like, so what's your gift and where, where, where do you serve? And they're like, oh, I serve in small groups. Oh, you do? You're a small group leader? No, I go. No, that's a gift of sitting. <laughs> Being the leader, making sure people have the, you know, the food and everybody's settled and directed and they're going to the leadership training. That's the leadership. That's different. Where are you serving? No matter your age, How has God gifted you? No matter your situation in life, God has gifted you. You have an available opportunity and ability to care. And I'll tell you what, I think a lot of us don't realize how much we need each other. 
And so we go like, eh, you know, I don't need to serve. I don't really have that. I don't have a good gift anyway. I mean, I don't even know what my gift is. How do you even discover what your gift is? I'll tell you, it's pretty simple. Paul in the book of Galatians told you that, hey, look, you're all free. And they were having this big argument over, over all the circumcision stuff and going back to the law. And he says, you're all free, but don't let the freedom that you've been given give you a chance for the flesh to cause sin. No, out of love, serve one another. That's how you start. With the freedom you have in Christ, just serve people. It may start with cleaning bathrooms. I mentioned this now twice. Yes, we would love that. Um, it may be that we need tech. It may be that we need extra worship players who play instruments and guitars in various places. It may be that we simply need people to make coffee. It may be that we need your smiling, lovely face to shake a hand. It may be that we need you to walk with a beautiful person who has a disability so you can go with them into their children's classrooms and they can participate with everybody else. There are lots of great and glorious ways to serve. And so you discover your gift by serving. Eventually you go like, hey, I'm going to serve God. I want to serve others. And suddenly you go, wow, I'm good at this. And other people go, wow, you're good at that. And God is beginning to reveal your gift. Now, some of you are sitting there going, I know what my gift is. It's not a very good gift. Really? Oh, yeah, man. My gift's like, I'm really good at like organizing stuff and putting things in files, but I really want to be a singer. <laughs> That's not a bad gift. Organization is a genius gift. I'm amazed by it personally. I watch organized people and I'm just like, how do you keep doing that every day? Because I try and it fail all the time. I find administration organization beautiful, and I'm not going to knock it. I'm, gonna, I'm amazed at it. No gift should ever be knocked. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor, the head, nor again the head of the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weak are indispensable. Can you imagine if your hand said, I don't need an ear. I'm going to listen for myself. No, we, he's given us all the parts of our body for the sake of the whole of it to work together. And when one part hurts, the whole of it hurts. We respond as family with each other. But that's when we're all functioning well. If suddenly my right arm just decided to stop functioning because it wanted to break, we would say that the body is sick. And that's important to note that each of us are put together in this for the purpose of each other. For the common good. So what's that gift? Well, my gift really isn't that good. No, all of them are good. None of them are indispensable. But it's just not as good as the other guys. Yeah, I can sing, but not like them. I, I, I play with tech stuff, but I'm not like these guys in the back. You know what? We believe in a, in a core value of excellence at Olive Branch, but our first line is always this. Excellence is not perfection. You hear me? Excellence is not perfection. Here's what we mean by excellence. We want you to take your gift, your time, your talent, whatever you've got, and we want you to make the most of it. But don't settle, just keep growing. And that's what we want to facilitate. Hey, you want to learn tech? We'll help you learn tech. You want to be a part of the worship team? Sure, you may not be up on the stage like the next week, but we've got lots of places to grow. We've got lots of places that we want to help develop. Because you know what? If God gave you the gift we don't want to keep it hidden in a closet. Just because you're like, I'm not a very good hand. Well, you can go to the church where they use very bad hands. You know, no. We want to use everybody. We want you to be able to use your gift. And so technically we call this membership. 
Membership is, is not a bad thing. Look at it. It's used in the Bible. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. In fact, what's interesting is this is the first time membership is used like this. Thousands of years before LA Fitness was around, membership was a part of being in the body of Christ. Membership isn't a, to be used by some kind of leadership to go like, now that you're a member, I will tell you what to do. No, 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 no. That's not how we work membership around here. Membership is all of us being on the same page, on board, together, marching after what God has called us to do. We ask that you'd serve, but we want you to serve in your gift and where God has called you to. We want you to serve for God and for each other. And yeah, that means we gather and we may do some stuff sometimes that we may not necessarily want to do at first, but we learn how. And our goal is just to grow together because the strength of the church is not found in its staff. The strength of the church is found in its membership. You will only discover how strong a church is when you examine the members of that church. When you have a strong staff, you will not necessarily have strong members. When you have a strong membership, they'll get rid of a weak staff and they'll make a strong one because they desire to grow. They desire for the parts of the body to function rightly. See, when we talk about our church, there's not some corporate evil group of people hiding behind the, the hiding behind going, it's our church. <laughs> no, no, no. Ours means, I wish English had a term that meant ours inclusive. All of us together. It's our church. Not somebody else's. It's the church of Christ given to us here at Olive Branch. And so we work together. So don't just settle for receiving. Give and receive. Finally, problem three is this. We sometimes settle for staying when we should go. You say, what? That's not a problem in the church. People are always going, well, hold on. There's a couple ways I want to talk about this. The first way is some of us have settled to stay in our volunteer position longer than we ought to have. You should have gotten up and moved on. Gotten up and taken a break and then moved forward. Some of us literally get so comfortable doing the same thing all the time and we didn't realize that God's been spurring you to become a leader. Well, my friend Scott. Scott was part of our host team and he was engaged as a third service host leader and Scott did a great job. One day he said, hey guys, I'm going to take a break. Uh, I'm done with the host team. And it was like the host team goes, what are we going to do? Well, Scott moved forward and he didn't just step out. He stepped up. He came to me and we were talking. He's like, I've got this idea for training leadership. What do we do here to train leadership? I'm like, it's a problem we're trying to solve. And he says, I would like to try to help solve that by creating a, a leadership forum. I went through one at work. I think we can do this here. And it's been going now for a couple months. And, and Scott has worked his, his tail off to bring this together. And I'm loving what I'm seeing. But Scott knew, I can't stay. I have to step up and step out. Sometimes we stay too long. What was beautiful is that Scott stepped out and stepped up, it left a vacancy for somebody new from the host team to step up and in. And Julia stepped up and in. She's doing a great job. But Julia never would have had the challenge had Scott never took his challenge. And that's sometimes what needs to happen. And maybe God's been spurring you to say, you need to move up into the leadership. You need to take something on where you haven't taken it on before. And you're capable and able. And you just don't, because you're just comfortable, you've settled. I want to challenge you. Maybe you should get unsettled there. Step forward. A second one, though, is that there is a time in which we need to leave a church. Now, 
Some of you are here, you're church shopping. You're checking Olive Branch out. You heard about it. You've been looking around because you've moved from a church or you moved from the, another neighborhood and you're in. And, and church shopping is something that happens. I get it. And most people, when you select a church, there's, some, there's a criterion that we follow through when we go church shopping. And there's a time for church shopping. So let me give you a little bit of advice as you do it. The first thing is when you come in, most of the time, our first thing we indicate is we go, ooh, I like the style of music. I like the way the sermon goes. I'm cool with these things. Not everything fits perfectly. I'm not real comfortable with it all all the time. But yeah, this could work pretty good. Children's ministry is pretty good. You seems like it's going on good. Ah, style is good. And I agree, all those things. People can be nice. The style could be great. It could fit you really well. You may like the way they're all dressed nice and clean, but you may have just entered a cult. Style doesn't tell you anything about what's under the hood. And we all have to lift up that hood and you need to read and examine the theology. Check the theology of the church as you're church shopping so that you're sure what you're joining. Don't just read the statement now. Once you have the statement down, look for how the statement is lived out in the church so that it's matched up. This is not like, yeah, we believe this. Set it down, we're good. (laughs) No, it needs to be in the church, going through the church. Now, it's never going to be perfect, but it needs to be, you got to see a church that believes something and is working to live it out. Then put style on top. But I guarantee if you find a strong church that's living it out, people are coming to Jesus Christ and it's beginning to grow, a lot of us will set style aside. You know, some of our older adults in this room, you've set your favorite styles aside for the sake of seeing your family be at a church that they like or being a part of a, of a movement or a part of a church that you think is doing what God's called it to do. And I want to honor that because I know that the music here isn't always what you guys enjoy. And I know that the style here is not always what you guys want, but you're here because you care to serve other people. And that's that kind of giving and receiving that is so powerful in the church. At the same time, we got to realize younger people, there's going to be a day when the music's going to be in a way where you're going to be like, you can't worship to that. Jesus is cool. And be like, okay, people are coming to Jesus. Uh, what did Greg say again? Yeah, okay, theology strong. Oh, style crazy. You know, I'm going to be there one day. I hope to be at that place where I can give and receive appropriately for wherever that church is at. Now, that being said, though, there is a time to leave. And that time is over theology and the practice of that theology. Look, if you find that a church begins to teach something that is not essential, and I want to clarify this, not all doctrines are to be left over. Like, hey man, you're not teaching my brand of vanilla ice cream when it comes to the end times. That's not a reason to leave. I get it. Some of you guys are like, oh, this is my view. Good, fight for it. Enjoy it here. Let's talk about it. We, we consider that something to converse about. We believe Jesus Christ is returning. We do. How he's returning, we're kind of like, great conversation. Let's have it. But we believe Jesus Christ is returning. We believe he is returning in the flesh for resurrection. We believe he rose from the dead in the flesh. The essentials matter from whether the word of God is, a, is inerrant, whether Jesus Christ is divine, the triune God exists, the resurrection is a curb, the God has taken our sins and placed upon Jesus Christ on the cross, and that it is only through the cross that we are redeemed. That's the essential pieces. 
If you see somebody starting to preach something that's not in the essentials, your first recourse is not to leave. It is to stand up here at Olive Branch, if you see that happen here, with your Bible in hand, to sit down with the leadership, open it up and say, this is where I think we are going wrong. And it's when you meet with leadership in the hopes that they may see the falsehood of the essential being dropped and they repent, that's your desire because then you can stay. Because guess what? As a member of a church, as a person who belongs to a church, this is the governing authority of the church. Amen? Not me. Not an elder. The Word of God. And this is what we live by. And so you have the authority as the Word of God stands to stand firm with the Word of God. If they will not change, leave. If they will not bow to the Scriptures, leave. That is why we have the Word of God as a centerpiece. Amen? Good. That being said, there are times to leave. And there's one other one that some of you are ignoring. And that is because God is sending you on missions. You are staying and not listening to the God who is calling you to a nation in which people need to hear the gospel. He is calling you to get into an inner city in which a ministry needs to be birthed. I love to say it this way to people. I say, go on purpose or stay on purpose, but do one of them. And for some of you, God is calling you to go on purpose. To take that message to the ends of the earth. To become a pastor yourself and plant a church. But some of us are so scared to hear those callings, we'd rather settle to just stay than to go. And with those disquieting thoughts... I want to ask that you would ask God to reveal that to you, as you if you're a mature Christian. If you're not a mature Christian, stay, get mature. But if you're a mature Christian and you know your Lord and you're walking with him and he is calling you out, what is holding you back? There are times to leave. And these are three problems, but I think they show us a lot about what can be unsettled in our hearts and in our journey. Would you join with me in prayer? Lord, as we um, allow ourselves to be open to the idea that you may be calling us to become unsettled in one of these ways, to be people who stop trying to do church ourselves, to be people who get engaged in the family community for the common good to use our gifts, or maybe to become members of some kind, or perhaps, God, to get up and go because you told us it's time. Would you just challenge us would you lead us? And as we sing this song, would you open our hearts up and, and show us how we are to respond? And we need you and we ask that you would reveal to us through our elders, through our leadership, through each other, and through your presence. And what are your calling is for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray.